0: Hello, Husky fans. This is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes, UConn, the podcast where we dive deep into the greatest UConn basketball games ever played. And uh, yeah, we're, we're back. I uh, took a week off. Uh, that's probably going to happen. Probably, I don't, I'm not going to say with any regularity. I sure hope to keep going weekly. But uh, the good news is sports are back. I have more stuff to do at work now. So as a result, that's going to be a thing I have to contend with now that the Uh, We'll just say the the real dregs of the quarantine are hopefully past us, uh, knock on wood. Uh, So anyway, I I do have a good one today. Uh, This is one I've been keeping in my back pocket for a while. Uh, Tim Fontenot is back once again, and we are going to dive into, I would say is probably one of the, it's probably the greatest UConn game of the last five years, certainly of the post-championship AAC era. We're talking about the Jalen Adams game. Uh, You you guys all know it well, uh, the four-overtime classic in the American Athletic Conference Quarterfinals, 2016. They're uh, featuring, if we're being honest, one of the just the most insane shots in college basketball history. Tim, thanks again for coming back on. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. I'm. Uh, it feels like this was the longest break between uh, between appearances, but uh, you know, I always love coming on here, especially for this game.
0: Yeah. So uh, this is. I'll never forget this game. I mean, this was like. <sighs> This, is, this game really is, like, the game that was done the biggest disservice by its, you know, being in the AAC era. Because let's just kind of start right, right off the top. I mean, if could you imagine if this game had been played at Madison Square Garden? Like... Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. It, just, like, the setting... Like, this game was so... This game transcended its setting in such an epic way. And yet, like, you know, this deserves to be considered one of the greatest college basketball games ever played. But it's not because, you know... AAC, but yeah, so you know this game for those the for the you know twelve people out there who aren't familiar, you know Jalen Adams hits a a, almost a full court buzzer beater at the end of triple overtime to force uh you know to force four overtimes and eventually UConn wins. That springboards them. You know if they lose this game, they probably actually really they they definitely miss the NCAA tournament. But instead, you know they win this game, they win the AAC tournament, and then they end up you know making a. You know, they, they, they made the second round of the NCAA tournament. So it wound up being a pretty respectable season and only because Jalen Adams made the most improbable shot ever. So what, what do you remember about the shot? Because that's kind of why we're here. Do you remember where you were and kind of your emotion in, in that moment?
1: Yeah, so like a quick background on where I was. It was really cool for me. It was I had only been working at ESPN for a month and a half at this point. Um, so this was like, I was still really new. People were still really getting to know me. Um, like they knew I was a big UConn fan. They knew that I'd gone to, gone to UConn, but no one really knew like how intense I could get during a game. And they really got to see here because, you know, I, I work in the, I work on soccer at ESPN, but come March, everyone, like every TV there, there were, I think 10 in my little corner of a corner of the basement of the building we worked in. 10 TVs for like eight people. every single one of them was on college basketball. So we were uh, we were all going nuts. We all had our eyes on this game and I just kept pacing back and forth for a solid three hours, however long this game was. and when when Johnson hit that shot for Cincinnati with with 0.8 seconds left, I just I almost turned away and just like put my head in my hands and just like didn't want to accept that you kind of just lost and that they weren't gonna to go to the tournament. But then I just, like, Adams throws the shot up, and I didn't know, like, I just, like, I let out a scream just, like, I couldn't contain it. I was at work, and I couldn't contain it, but then I just heard the entire building, my floor, the floor above us, through multiple doors next to me, like, the entire campus, like, all screamed at once watching this game like the entirety of ESPN had their eyes fixated on it when at like the whole campus pretty much shook even like even if you weren't rooting for Yukon that was just like everyone just couldn't believe what had just happened
0: it was yeah i mean you pretty it's it, it's honestly just one of the most preposterous things that i've ever seen like yeah. in anything <laughs> that's pretty i mean you you're talking about pacing around i mean this was an intense game, like start to finish, really. You know, UConn, they may they fall behind by a decent amount early. They look like they kind of have it in the bag late. You know, they made a big second half run, and then you know that Troy Copain guy from Cincinnati was a killer. He, you know, he leads them back. They tie it up. The first overtime is kind of a dumpster fire. Second overtime, you know, Copain makes this great layup. It looks like it's for the win. Then Jalen Adams. Everyone forgets he also saved them in the second overtime too. He hits a layup like a running like a running layup, uh, you know, with time running out, uh, even forced triple overtime. And then yeah, just that last play, that last sequence in triple overtime. You know, Copain gets a three for the win before, and he misses. And then you know they, you know, Cincinnati just gets the rebound dishes it right out to Johnson, who hits them. And I, so I remember where I was. So I was living, I was in, attending grad school at BU at the time. And so I was living in a house in the suburbs of Boston with a couple of my old high school buddies. They don't give a crap about college basketball at all, really. They just, They're just home because, I don't know, they just happen to be home. And yeah. so you have me pacing around like a madman, Cause like, this is like the best Yukon basketball game we've had since the, you know, the national championship and, you know, two years before. So I've been like craving like big basketball like this. 2015 was a down year, obviously. And you know, the stakes are high, you know, if they don't win, it's pretty much over. So after, uh, after Johnson hits the three to take the lead, I just like sink down. Like, you know, my hands over the back of the couch. I'm just like, oh man, like. I can't believe this just happened. And, you know, my roommates who are just kind of just hanging out at this point, like it's a good enough game that they're pretty invested too. you know, they're obviously they're just like, damn, Mac, that's tough. That's really rough. So I like kind of get up. I start walking around some more. Jalen Adams takes the inbound pass. and he chucks it up and it's in the air long enough where I actually have a chance to form a coherent thought. And that thought is, oh, man, that looks pretty good. (laughs) And then it goes in and I swear to God, I like shrieked, like actually like shrieked. Like, I I made a sound that I couldn't duplicate it, even if I wanted to. If I tried, I would definitely disturb my wife and the dogs downstairs. They'd be like, you know, did I just die? Like, I thought, like, I I sounded like I'd been shot. My roommates pretty much did the same thing. They're just like, what? Oh, my. Like, just I, I threw, like, my hands up in the air, just like. You know that scene in uh, in The Hangover where they're in the where Stu is in the back of the cop car and he's just like, you know, what the f is going on? That's pretty much how we were. It was just complete like stunned pandemonium.
1: Oh my gosh, that's amazing, man! I'm like, I'm just thinking about like, you're right. When when that shot went up, there was enough time. I thought the same thing. I'm like, that might actually go in, and I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the Ken Palm win probability chart from that game. And you can see where it just like it spikes for Cincinnati, um, after after they hit the shot with 0.8 left, but it says UConn still has a two point three percent chance to win at that point, and I'm just like I'm Lloyd Christmas like so you're telling me there's a chance, <laughs> <laughs> but my feet fa- oh my gosh I like that shot was just everything about everything about the way it came together was so funny first of all. First of all, I'm really glad Troy Copain didn't hit that, that three, obviously, because in the post championship era, I've never come across an opponent that I've hated but respected more than Troy Copain. I wanted to hate that man so much because he was just he was unbelievable. He was a Yukon killer. And every single time we played them, you know, Cincinnati was you know for for however much we Neither of us wanted to be where we were. We kind of, like, we were We were all stuck there together. And so UConn-Cincinnati, it was never going to reach Syracuse or Georgetown or Villanova levels of rivalry, but they were who we had in the American. And we had some unbelievable showdowns with Cincinnati. And I think at least, like, for those few years, it was fun to have that rivalry as... You know, as something to hold on to, like, for however terrible everything was with the American, those games were freaking dogfights. Every single one against Cincinnati, for the most part, was just exactly like this, but usually only 45 minutes instead of of four overtimes.
0: Yeah, man. It was certainly a more fun rivalry when Mick Cronin was around. And boy, was (laughs) Mick Cronin, uh, was he a, a big Cronenberg that day? After oh, yeah. the, after the game, man, he is, he was like, so, you know, he's like the king of, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. You know, he was mad, like straight up, just like un, unrepentantly, like pissed after this game. Um, yeah. I, I got the uh, AP story afterwards. He was not very thrilled about the time management and, or specifically like um, basically he thought that you the Adam shot shouldn't have counted. He says in 0.8 seconds, you can't catch the ball, take two steps and then shoot it. He said, You can't catch it, turn, bring it below your waist, and then shoot it with enough force to shoot it 80 feet in 0.8 seconds. The clock didn't start nearly on time. I've watched it five times, so it's unfortunate that it happened to my kids. And then he continues. So in defense of my kids, I'm obviously upset, but like I say, congratulations to Kevin and his team. Good of him to admit he's obviously upset because that's how you know he's, that's how you know he's upset because that guy was never, he, he was the maddest not man person alive. And, uh, you know, was he correct? I'm not so sure. But who cares? That shot I mean just the fact that he makes the shot that that Jalen Adams was able to pull that off like he did was just honestly just I'm going to I'm going to say this like a 100 times on this podcast, but it was the most craziest thing I've ever seen. And when the ball goes in, like he wasn't he was completely unguarded because Cincinnati thought they had no chance like yeah. they're all celebrating they're off in the corner they're all just like you know pumping their fists and stuff and then next thing you know they turn around they see the ball in the air it goes in Adams freaks out everybody in the Yukon bench freaks out you can see Payne just have a look on his face just like oh my god what more do I have to do <laughs> and like you know all 45 people in the crowd are just like just like besides themselves like like what I <laughs>
1: After so after Johnson hit that three, obviously all the Cincinnati guys run around. You can see everyone in the crowd. They think, you know, this game's over. Um, thinking about the way the ball got inbounded too, but you could you could see Daniel Hamilton desperately wanted the ball to be in his hands for that final shot. Because he was like, he he went to like it looks like he was like going to grab Brian and like pointed to out of bounds, like, dude, we need to inbound the ball, we need to inbound it now. And Brima just kind of sulks away. And, like, Brahma looks, like, completely defeated after that because he couldn't get the, he couldn't get the rebound, and then Johnson hits the shot, so he just kind of sulks away, and then Hamilton tries to get Adams to inbound it, and he's, like, he quickly tries for, like, half a second and then realizes, like, he has to rush and get that ball in, and it kind of worked out. Like, you know, ball doesn't end up in the best player's hands, but it ends up in Jalen Adams' hands, and. Look what
0: happens! Yeah, well, to be fair, you know, obviously Hamilton is ideally who you want that you know to have the shot. Yes. But when you're talking about a three quarters heave with like hardly any time on the clock, I mean, it's literally a crapshoot. Like, oh, absolutely. Like, like I probably have about a good a chance of making that shot as Jalen Adams realistically did. <laughs> you know, well, that's I'm half exaggerating, but like, this certainly wasn't a skillful shot. It was pretty lucky, but it was it was mostly awesome. So. You know, man. So the craziest thing is, like, this wasn't over. There actually was a fourth overtime. And in my mind, I thought, you know, yeah, UConn kind of just smoked him after that. But, no, it actually still was pretty competitive, at least until, like, the last two minutes. And then yeah. UConn finally, finally puts him away. Um Adams, this I also had forgotten about, he scored eight of his 24 points in the fourth overtime. And he has, you know, he had the three in the third. He had the, the, the late two. So, you know, you can do the math. I mean, he, he did a lot of damage in overtime. Uh, and, you know, the fourth overtime was really kind of, you know, kind of him just being like, all right, like, you know, you all impressed yet or what? <laughs>
1: yeah, seriously. Yeah. It's funny. Two um, uh, two of the biggest contributors in that game came in, uh, didn't start for UConn with Adams and Bryma. And looking back, when I started watching this game, I was like, it was weird to me, like, I, I almost forget for, like, for as much as this was, like, the last positive ollie season where we ended up making the tournament, I, like, I kind of admittedly forgot who was on the court at times for UConn. Like, I didn't... Phil Nolan started, and that was, like, the first... that Like, that drew my eyes for, like, the first 30 seconds that Phil Nolan was still around in 2016 like, I felt like he, I, I felt like he had already been gone, like, just like, in, like, in my mind, like, I don't know why, but I just, I could have sworn that Brimel was already like, in it's like, just like the five on the team, but there was, uh, there was Phil, and then you had Sean Miller, Sterling Gibbs, Rodney Purvis, I mean, there was a, there were a lot of guys who, like, it was a lovable team, and just like a, lo- a lot of lovable individuals, but... Like, I forgot that they all came together to form a team and that Adams was not yet a pen in starter on that team.
0: Yeah, there was a, yeah, the roster construction of that team was pretty wild if you think about it. Cause Sean, yeah, if, I mean, if we're being honest, it was the, without a doubt the golden era of like UConn transfer success. Cause Gibbs, uh, Sean Miller, you know, Purvis, obviously, they were all terrific. You know, they all contributed. Uh, other transfers obviously have not had as much success over the last decade or so, but right. you know, you got those guys. Hamilton was legit. He was, I mean, he's probably the best uh, recruit that uh, Kevin Ollie was able to bring in. I mean, yeah. you know, he made it two years, you know, he, he, uh, yeah, he, he didn't make it into the NBA. I, I think he didn't play in the league for very long, but he, he did have, you know, he did crack the, uh, you know, the league at some point. So, yeah. you know, it was I good. I wonder for what
1: would have happened for him and for honestly, for Kevin Ollie if, Hamilton had stayed beyond that season. Um, I mean, that guy was incredible when when he was at UConn, and you know, only staying there two seasons. I wonder if maybe he re- if he would have really benefited from that third, or if Ollie and the program in general would have benefited from that third. But then, you know, where would we be today? Like, I don't. Just something else that popped into my head as I was watching, and I saw Hamilton bawling out the way he did with uh, his. Thirty-two points in that game. Yeah, just, uh, one of, another one of those what ifs.
0: Yeah, so this is yeah, so it's probably worth kind of going back and talking about this season as a whole. Just you know, it's not it was pretty recent, but just long enough ago that uh you know I don't think anybody currently affiliated with UConn would have been students unless they were like you and hung around forever. So <laughs> <laughs> <True>. <laughs> had to get that dig in. Sorry. So yeah, so this team obviously we're two years removed from the national title, but you know realistically, it kind of. Feels like an whole, whole different era. Um, the team finishes the regular season twenty one and ten, and like they were, it was a weird. It was weird. This team was pretty talented. You know, all the guys we just mentioned. You know, you got Jalen Adams as a freshman. You've got a uh, Phil Nolan and Amida Breimer are still around. Um, you know, the team starts the season ranked, kind of hovering in kind of the late high teens, low twenties. Uh, you know, a couple—they you know, beat Michigan in the uh, battle for Atlantis. You know, have a loss to Gonzaga, lost to Syracuse. They get into the American Athletic Conference and they—they they, like lose a couple of games. No big losing streaks, but then like every, like once a week or every two weeks, you can kind of pencil them in, in for a loss. End up finishing sixth in the conference, uh, eleven and seven in the AAC. So this is like a weird team where they're like talented, but also they underachieved. But like they didn't badly underachieve. I don't know. I don't, I have a hard time putting my finger on exactly what this team's deal was, but the end result was they need to win this game. Um, no if, ands or buts about it. And, uh, yeah, Cincinnati was a a tough, this was a, you know, Cincinnati's had some pretty solid teams over the last decade. I'd say this was one of their better ones in terms of just like, you know, Copain was a killer. They had good players at every position. They had good bigs. They had good shooting. They didn't have any obvious weaknesses. If anything, they were just like that team who's like pretty good at everything. Maybe not great at at you know you know not like they didn't have any like obvious like you know like Sean Kilpatrick was an All-American a couple of years before. They didn't have anybody quite like that, but you know, pretty solid one overall.
1: Cronin's great rants. Oh my his, God! Uh, his big not mads when. uh Sorry, I, I thought of it when you uh when you mentioned. Uh, the way Cronin acted after this game, but when he didn't win uh, in 2014, when Napier, I think I've, I've mentioned this before on, uh, on another episode, when Napier won over Russ Smith and Sean Kilpatrick, and it, it felt like Kilpatrick was always going to be third of that group in uh, the run for player of the year in the AAC, and I just remember when he didn't win, and Napier did, Cronin was... Uh, we were all in the we were all in the hall where they uh, where they gave out the award and Cronin was talking to the press right after and yeah very very big uh, not mad energy from uh, from the little guy that day
0: <laughs> yeah no absolutely. <laughs> Um, so let's uh, you know, kind of before we, well, we're not really going to do the play-by-play for this one quite as much. We already kind of covered the highlights, but what do you recall from your experience of this season? Um, you know, you at this point, I believe are just a fairly recent, yeah, fairly recently out of UConn, um, you know, Kevin Ollie, we're, we're kind of at the end of the honeymoon phase where we're kind of beginning to wonder if he's actually a good coach. And, um, but like this team, you know, you, you can feel that they have something in them. What, so do you recall I guess kind of what your thoughts were on the team in the moment back in the, those days
1: yeah funny enough I actually got called out uh, from someone who worked uh, worked alongside of the team for uh, something I said during this season I'll uh, I'll say this was my last I, I didn't cover the team the whole year because in January I got the job at uh, I got the job at ESPN so I had to stop covering the team Um but before that, I was, you know, I was still covering it for the UConn blog. And I just remember at the start of the year, like you said, this was like, this was a team that had the talent and just like, you know, but it was like, oh, it was a weird team all the same. You know, those losses at Sy- against Syracuse and Gonzaga weren't terrible. I mean, combined, they only lost by six points. They lost them both by three, but, you know, you still, you still wondered what this team's deal was. And then, you know, you fast forward two weeks, and I I wonder what would have happened if they had beaten Maryland at the Garden. Um, And obviously, things kind of unraveled late down the stretch in that game. It looked like it was a game that UConn could take. It was going to be a tight one no matter what. Uh, And you have the very famous Kevin Ollie throwing the papers on the court incident, and that kind of derailed any chance of them getting back into the game, because the because Maryland got a few free shots out of it and they end up losing by 10. So that was when I actually, um, I tweeted, I was like, you know, we sometimes ask whether Kevin Ollie is uh, is a great coach, but I'm starting to wonder if he's even a good coach. And I just thought that, you know, there had been questions about his, his coaching up until then, and then just the way he reacted in that, in that situation. I don't think it was abnormal for him, and I just think at that, that time it, it escalated to a point where it, like, it actually kind of cost his team a game. Um, their, their next game, they end up, they win by 20 against Ohio State, and that's when I get I get called out before the post-game interviews. It was like, oh, so Ollie can't coach, huh? And I was like, um, have you seen Ohio State play this year? Not that great. So 20-point win over Ohio State should have been expected. But, you know, good job. Um, but like you said, you know, they – they looked like after that, they looked like they were starting to put something really good together, and then, you know, every game, every other game or every few games, they'd have a really bad loss. And, you know, it just kind of happened that way throughout the season, culminating with, was it, uh, they, oh, they lost by 26 at SMU. And that was after losing two uh, at home to Houston a couple of days before. And at that point, when you're going into the tournament, you know, after losing by 26 to SMU, you're like, okay, well, what's going to happen now? Because like like we've been saying, they needed to win the tournament to, to get into the big dance. And at the time, it didn't seem like that was going to be something that was going to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that we should probably point out to the listeners, uh, losing the SMU by 26 points sounds horrible. It, it, at the time, actually, it wasn't a horrible, like, I mean, you don't want to lose anyone by 26, but SMU was the best team in the AAC that year. Yes. Uh, they were they were a really really good team I, I, I can't recall if Larry Brown was still their coach or if he had just just quit but um, they they were like really good however they had also been busted for all kinds of Larry Brown related shenanigans and had been banned yeah. from the postseason so one of the big kind of big reasons why Yukon was ultimately able to win the AAC tournament the way they did you know SMU wasn't in the way you know that's yeah. that was certainly a break because you know that team was good. But yeah, a good a good competitive team should not be losing to anybody by twenty six. You know? Oh my
1: goodness, I just you're you're right, and I uh, I'm looking at this SMU roster, and I'm sorry for my oh my goodness, I just like I just looked it up. They were obviously like they were really good with Marcus Kennedy, and Nick Moore, uh, Ben Moore, Sterling Brown. Like that team was loaded. Um, one guy that I didn't realize was a freshman on the team that year, um, and this comes up with the NFL kicking off week one this past weekend courtland sutton uh the broncos wide receiver great fantasy asset for a lot of people this year hold, hold up wait on the Cortland... SMU...
0: yeah courtland sutton played on that team yeah what
1: i'm just finding this
0: out oh my god wow that is yeah. oh my wow, huh? <laughs> I'm so confused right now. I was expecting I, you to, I was, for Ramona, I thought you were going to point out that semi Ogele was on the team and whether or not that's true, I don't even know, but like, I
1: don't think he, I don't think he played. I don't think he played that season. He's on their roster. Yeah.
0: I was like expecting you to say, Oh yeah. Semi Ogele. I was like, yeah, everyone knows Semi Ogele played for <laughs> S- SMU. And then you said, Corlin Sutton. Oh my God. We're breaking some news here on. Yes, you Holy crap. He, <laughs>
1: Pulled him up on uh, on Wikipedia. As a as a redshirt freshman in 2015, he started all 12 games for the football team, and then after the season, he played in three games for the basketball team.
0: Oh my God, this is almost as awesome as the time I discovered that Charlie Coyle played in a high school game that I went to as a fan when he was a freshman. Oh my gosh! Yeah, good times. Uh, he he, he wrote about that one on the Players Tribune, by the way. So anybody who oh, yeah. cares about Boston high school hockey and also the Bruins. Uh Google that one. I'm sure you'll find it. Anyways, wow. uh, that's a hell of a tangent.
1: (laughs) I am sorry about that.
0: (laughs) No, damn. Good call. Uh all right. Well anyway, um where were we? Right. Uh so yeah, so that team, yeah, so they got their they got smoked by SMU. And uh yeah, so here we are, uh UConn Cincinnati. Um, This game was played in the Amway Center, I believe, is is that correct, in in Orlando, currently home of WWE's Thunderdome, by the way. So that's another pandemic related thing for anybody who listens to this years later being like, what the heck happened? Um, Not exactly Madison Square Garden, Um, not really your best uh, atmosphere. But Hey, sometimes you just get a game that just transcends it all. And this was one of them. Um, So just kind of to give you the kind of the cliff notes version. um, First half Cincinnati is in control. Uh, They're up 36 to 27. You know, it's a kind of one of those uh oh things where you're like, man, like doesn't feel like, you know, this UConn team had not proven themselves to be one of those teams that you can really trust late in the game. So for them to fall behind by nine, I, I recall being pretty nervous. Do you recall? Do you even remember how you were feeling at that point?
1: Um, UConn in a must win game at March, I was just always in panic mode until the final buzzer, anyway. So I was, uh, I wasn't feeling entirely great, to be honest.
0: Yeah. I, I think I, I just was pacing around my house at that point. I was just like, like, this isn't good. This isn't good. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. They could be, they could win. They probably won't win. Uh, my roommates, meanwhile, are looking at me like, damn, dude, chill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, second half though immediately we we get exactly the start we want um Yukon goes on a 16 to 2 run uh not immediately but like pretty you know over the course of the first 10 minutes or so and they go from being down by you know seven or whatever they were to up by six uh, they flip it they they're leading 51 to 45 at the 11 minute mark and from that point on it's close but Yukon is mostly ahead um, you know, UConn ultimately pulls ahead by seven after uh, Daniel Hamilton knocks down a couple of free throws with 3:36 left. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, this this looks pretty good. Hopefully, they don't screw it up. Spoilers: they uh they screwed it up. <laughs> Cincinnati finishes they they finish regulation on a seven nothing run, which is a Copain layup, uh, Cobb three, Copain ties it with two free throws with 35 seconds left and UConn can't get their crap together on the other side, and off we go to overtime. Sixty-two to sixty-two, and little did we know, but we were looking at basically like the six overtime game, except way less. Uh, I don't know, um, not dramatic. Uh, what's I don't know? Is there a word for how to describe a setting that's way more epic than another? Uh. Whatever. That's you, a good
1: question. I'm trying to think of the, the right way to describe what was going on.
0: Yeah, it's like it would be like putting on. It would be like if like you know a Broadway play was being put on a high, sc- high school gymnasium. I guess if you, yeah, if that that's makes a good sense. Way to put it. <laughs> so, um, first overtime is is really kind of lame. Uh, nothing happens at all, really. Uh, mostly free throws. Uh, Troy Copain and Sterling Gibbs both miss potential winning shots in kind of their final possessions. So uh, on we go. Uh, 67-67. sixty-seven. Second overtime. Cincinnati comes up and they pull ahead by four. And then we get an Amita Brima to the rescue performance. Uh, I forgot that this happened, but when they needed him, Amita comes up with this big dunk next possession. He gets a block. And then after uh, a couple of uh, missed shots on Yukon's end, he has a tip in for a layup to tie the game. I don't remember Amita Brima doing any of that, but no. that was a lot of fun to see because that guy, boy, imagine if Amita Brima was consistent. <laughs> he came through though in some big spots and this was uh one of the less heralded ones for sure
1: yeah this is like it's it's not saint joe's but it's right there yeah, that, yeah uh,
0: pretty much that, actually yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: had a knack for Yeah that, yeah the saint joe's one was uh that wasn't a tip-in that was a hook shot
1: no uh, yeah it was still it was like but just like coming up like that big moment where, you know, it kind of gets lost in the fact that they ended up going on to win the title, but it's still like, it was one of the pivotal moments there almost. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so he ties it up. Uh, and then we were more or less, we mostly remain tied the rest of the overtime. Uh, Copain gives Cincinnati the lead. He hits a layup with 15 seconds left. Uh, we mentioned before Adams ties it the other way. That was a, that was a pretty thrilling moment though. I can, I remember when, you know, Copain hits the, the layup and I'm like, uh, Adams gets the ties up on my, I'm like, okay, I think we're, we're, we're good to make it to the next one. At least I don't know how many more of these will need, but you know, just got to survive. Um, third overtime was pretty dope. Um, Copain was really good also in this one too. Uh, he finishes with 37 points. I don't, I have it broken down by half or by overtime, but he had a bunch here. Um, he and Sterling Gibbs trade three pointers to start, start it off. Adams hits a two. He answers with a pair of free throws. So he's got five right off, off the bat. Uh, here's a grid play. Uh, Sterling Gibbs gets a steal and hits Rodney Previs in transition for two. And now with about uh, two minutes or so left, Yukon's got the lead. And then Kevin Johnson, a guy whose name we haven't mentioned very much, but this guy was a killer too. He hits a three to put you, uh, Cincinnati back up. He, um, you know, and we're gonna mention him again in a few moments. And now we're at the awkward point where it's a one-point game, and so every time something happens, the leads changing. And when we're in overtime, do you have this experience where when it's that is the case, it's way more stressful than it is when it's tie lead, tie lead, tie lead? Is yes. that yes. Absolutely. So, needless to say, we trade the lead a couple times. Uh, Hamilton two for two free throws puts UConn back up. Copain another jumper. Now uh, 85-84 with 42 seconds left. And then Hamilton uh, does the, the very stressful, the even more than the, the most stressful thing ever. He, he misses one of his free throws and then, you know, makes another one. So now we're tied. Uh, 28 seconds left, 85-85. And Cincinnati ha- gets, uh, they get the possession. And um, I'm trying to do the math if this is how exactly. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, because there was a miss initially, that's why there was more time. So Cincinnati has the ball. And all you have to do is get a a stop and then you get the last shot. And then, yeah, uh, Copain gets a three, or takes a three rather, and he misses it. Looking good. Except, uh, uh, what's his name? Octavian Ellis, I believe. Yes. He gets gets the rebounds kind of easily, to be honest. I I was a little bit frustrated by uh, how that played out. And then he dishes out to a wide open Kevin Johnson, who knocks it down point eight seconds left and uh yeah then uh, i'll just read you what the box score says on the uh, official um you know running score uh, let me just grab it here um let's see a good three-point jumper by johnson uh comma kevin one second left followed by good three-pointer by jalen adams uh zero, zero seconds left assist by daniel hamilton Sounds so undramatic, right? Yeah, Uh, (laughs) the the
1: poetry of a box score.
0: (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So anyway, needless to say, the craziest thing ever happens, and uh, yeah, we go into the fourth overtime, tied eighty eight to eighty eight. Yeah, I had to underplay that just because, like, we kind of already covered just how preposterous it was. Dude, I cannot believe he hit that shot. Like, isn't it just? It's so dumb. Like. I I was, when I was first creating this podcast, I was like going through all the old audio clips of some of the epic calls and the guys who did the game, like literally lose their minds. They're just like, 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 Oh, this one's good. If it goes, Oh, it did. Oh my goodness. it's unreal. (laughs) Can we just talk about Jalen Adams, celebration? There's a picture of him just like jumping and like the look on his face is just like, I, he's like that golden retriever. Who's like, I don't even know what I'm doing here right now.
1: (laughs) I would, I would imagine that Jalen Adams definitely blacked out there for a minute where just like he, he probably just like couldn't remember anything that was going on. He just like he was completely swept up in the the entire team rushing him and the 30 people in the crowd going absolutely wild and just like having to come back to reality like did that really just happen? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, man. (laughs) It's one of my favorite sports like during when the pandemic first started, that was one of my favorite highlights to go back and rewatch just because like every single camera angle. Oh, hold on. Let's let's talk about Mike Francesa, because that's probably worth mentioning, too. There's a, a famous clip of him basically doing his show and he's like actually kind of like live streaming slash like live commentating it and i i forget who it is somebody on youtube made a mashup of like his commentary over the actual feed of the game and when the shot goes in he just loses his mind he's just like oh my god oh my god he just oh my he just what just happened <laughs> doing his whole mic Friend, do you know what i'm talking about
1: um i've never actually seen that but it doesn't surprise me in the slightest
0: yeah it's it's ridiculous he's just like it's like a fi- good five minutes of him basically just struggling to find words. And then when he like eventually explains what happens, he spends a while like kind of sp- speculating that they like waved the shot off. And then he's like, no, wait, no, it did. Oh, my God. That thing's good. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. Um, Anybody who hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it. Even if you like Mike Francesa or not, he- it's it's so funny. <laughs> I'm going
1: to have to go look that up. Yeah,
0: oh, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So fourth overtime. Yeah. Well, we'll just kind of bang through this real quick. So, uh, Jalen Adams scores eight of his 24 points in the fourth overtime. Sterling Gibbs gives Yukon the lead for good, uh, with about, I don't have the time written down about two minutes or so left. He hits a pair of free throws, put Yukon up 92 to 91. And then Daniel Hamilton, who, who, we haven't mentioned his name very often, but he was nails in this game. Uh, he had 32 points and did all, he he was all over the place. He had a couple late baskets and two free throws. Um, The two free throws were 10 seconds left, and that's, like, finally the nail on the coffin. UConn wins 104-97, to and we all exhale. (laughs) What are your thoughts when this game is over?
1: I was like, if they don't win this conference tournament now, they're never going to win this conference tournament ever. And, I mean, I was just, like, I was still at the time processing the Jalen Adams shot, so it was all just, like my mind was, like, in overdrive just thinking about how ridiculous that was, what I had just witnessed, like, how it was definitely one of the best UConn games of at least the last decade. Definitely one of the best of all time, especially the way, like, with Adam shot. Um, but obviously, like, at that point, you know, they still, they still needed to go on and get the job done, which they did against Temple and Memphis, and uh, thank goodness they did, because if that had, like, after the after the tournament, that's, uh, that's our last trip to the NCAA tournament after the 2014 title. So thank you, Jalen Adams for making that happen.
0: Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. That was a, you know, yeah. Not only did they uh, you know win the conference tournament, they also you know had about as realistic a you know as respectable tournament run as you could have expected. You know they win right. their they win their opener and then um you know against Colorado, um, pretty good win too seventy four to sixty seven and then they end up against Kansas, a one seed. It was kind of a bloodbath, but like the final score was only seventy three to sixty one so it wasn't like a like a blowout either they weren't, they were, there's no way they were going to be Kansas. So it's like, okay, you know, you kind of look back on that one. It's like, okay, you know what? This team kind of ultimately reached its potential, you know, how it got there. Um, Maybe not quite what we would have preferred, but Hey, you know what? You can't really, You know, it's sad. I mean, admittedly a little sad to say, it's one of their more successful seasons of the past decade. So you can't really yeah. poo poo that. Um, yeah. So obviously we don't really need to talk about too much what's happened since, because obviously things, really, really started to go south the the following offseason and two thousand seventeen and eighteen were really really not good years for the program. But, you know, this was a good team. They they did they they got their you know they got the job done and boy was that a memorable moment for sure. Um so do you have the box score up by any chance? I do. So yeah, let's kinda of run through it. Daniel Hamilton almost has a triple double. Yeah, thirty uh thirty-two points, uh twelve rebounds, eight assists uh, finishes only one turnover too, uh, twelve for fourteen from the free throw line and uh, fifty five minutes. Uh, he he and uh, Sterling Gibbs both played over fifty minutes and Rodney Purvis wasn't far off either with forty nine. Um, you know Jalen Adams actually uh, forty three minutes, which for a game this long was. I was a little surprised to see he sat as long as he did, but uh, also pretty good. Uh, twenty two points. Uh, that's interesting. I think the write up said he had twenty four. That's a uh, kind of a weird inconsistency. College football is coming. I'm doing this on the ESPN (laughs) website. I got an auto playing ad. Uh, I'm going to leave that in. That was funny. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) Jalen Adams, yeah, yeah, 22 points or or 24 points, whichever. Uh, Eight rebounds, uh, you know, eight for 16 um, from the field. And uh, a couple other guys, uh, Rodney Purvis and Sterling Gibbs, 14 points each. Uh, Sean Miller, 10 points. uh, Amita Brahma has ten points and nine rebounds, so a really good game for him too. Uh, Troy Copain from Cincinnati was really a, was really money. Thirty-seven points. And he played fifty-six minutes. Actually, not very efficient though. Surprisingly, only eleven for thirty. But he was eleven for twelve from the line. Also has uh, ten rebounds, five assists, three steals. Just a just a killer. Um, I don't know. Anything stand out to you that uh, was pretty pretty good?
1: Uh, once again, UConn really stepping up from the free throw line when their opponents didn't. Since he was 25 for 34, UConn was 22 for 24, and only the two that Daniel Hamilton missed, and we mentioned how much one of them almost gave us a heart attack. But, uh, yeah, again, another great night at the stripe for UConn. Um, and this, once again, like, looks like what you would expect from a UConn-Cincinnati box score. The You know, it was another like another intense game between these two teams that just like they were always gonna be you know the score of this game obviously is like so much different than what we're used to with Yukon Cincinnati, which is like always like a sub sixty game. And I always used to say like it was a race to sixty points in uh in the games between these two teams, but you know, another another tight game on the board Cincinnati had the edge, but they always had the the gargantuans who would just out-rebound everybody. But UConn, once again, did a good job keeping it tight. Um, in terms of actual stats, um, really the thing that stands out is UConn got a lot better shooting after the first half, and that was really important. They were they were 35.7% in the first half, 273 from three-point range, and those numbers all went up from the second half on. 50% shooting in the second half. Five of eleven from three, and then forty six point four percent shooting in overtime with two with two for four from the three point from beyond three, in the overtimes. One of those obviously being the heave of incredible, incredible historical context from Jalen Adams, the greatest shot any of us have ever seen. One of the best moments in UConn history. So that uh, that doesn't show up in the box score, but. We all know it's
0: there. Absolutely. Well, you know, one funny story is you talk about the race to 60. The score at the end of regulation was 62 to 62. Yeah. So uh, we got exactly as advertised. And, you know, we also got a bonus, uh, you know, four overtimes is an extra 20 minutes. So we basically got a, a game and a half here. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly, we end up getting a final score of 104 to 97. That kind of reflects that. So, yeah, funny how that worked out.
1: When you look at both games in the regular season, too. Uh, the one at the XL Center, which actually uh, I was at that game earlier in the year, um, actually on my first day working at ESPN, um, the, it was a fifty-eight to fifty-seven win for Cincinnati, and then uh, so neither team even got to sixty that day. Gross. <laughs> and then lo and behold, you go to the to the improper fraction arena in in uh, the out on the outskirts of Cincinnati later in the season, and sixty-five uh, sixty, the Bearcats win. So. Uh, Man, always, always with those teams. Absolutely, just a, a dogfight.
0: Absolutely. Um, so, broadcast beefs. I didn't have any. I I I thought this game overall was pretty well presented. It just, you know, it, you can't really help the fact that it felt like it lacked the gravitas of a big Big East tournament broadcast. But you know, whatever. That's that's right. that. Not, nobody can do anything about that. It just is what it is. Um, top dog. Well, obviously, we know who that is. So. Jalen Adams. This, in hindsight, this obviously did prove to be the high point of his career in terms of, you know, postseason success. Um, it, it's unfortunate that he didn't kind of get a, a real big moment in the spotlight later on, but you know, I guess it's a good. It's really nice that he did have this moment because he's a great player, and it's you know, obviously he didn't have like you know the Kemba or Shabazz levels of, you know, postseason success, but boy, he certainly got a moment, sure didn't he?
1: I think so. I mean. Yeah, when when Jalen Adams left he left this incredible legacy behind of this one moment and, you know, you wish that he had gotten more. He definitely deserved more. And in that way him and Christian Vital share a lot in common. And unfortunately, Vital didn't really have that moment. I think the closest you could say is probably, you know, the the Houston game, the last game that Yukon played at Gampel Pavilion. Um You know that ended up kind of being that that ended up being his going out party instead of, you know, instead of having a real shot to win a tournament. And let's be real, the way UConn was playing in February and March, they were going to go down to Texas and win that conference tournament. I, I we've talked about this before. I think that we all are very confident of that. And so Vital would have had that opportunity. And you know, sure enough, they very similar players in. Terms of their numbers at UConn, and you look at Vital, ended up just bumping Adams out of the off the top ten of the all time scoring charts. So, you know, two guys, both of them, um, who had incredible, like in their own right, incredible careers at UConn, but won't have the same, you know, the same legacy of the guys around them, the the Kembas and the Shabazzs and the Boatwrights, the guys who came just before them and won titles but guys who were incredibly important for this program when they were here and guys that will remember long after they're gone
0: absolutely so Jalen Adams we're going to segue into a little segment that I uh I I hit you up a little earlier about so Jalen Adams recently signed a a professional contract overseas I, I believe he's playing in France now and um that just kind of led me into something that I, I came across when I was perusing the Athletic today. Uh, Eamon Brennan uh, had a, a mailbag today, and the first item was a fantastic idea that really got my brain r- rolling. You know, the question was: if we just had an all-inclusive NCAA tournament where all comers are, are welcome, and by that I mean, you know, you take a, a college and anybody who has ever played for that college is like welcome to participate, then you know who has the best team? With the caveat is we're, we're basing that off of two thousand September of 2020. So whoever you're inviting is the age they are now. You're not getting them in their prime necessarily. So I sent you that article, and I'm just curious, I guess, what you thought. Because uh, UConn was actually highlighted as one of the possible favorites of such a tournament.
1: Yeah, I think that they would definitely be. But I was having a little bit of trouble putting a team together um, because of that restriction, the, because of the age restriction. Um I tried to go a little bit on the younger side um, guys who are kind of you know, who are still in those NBA years of you know, we talked about um, the the article mentions the five guys who are in the NBA who would be part of that team probably with Shabazz, Kemba Jeremy Lamb, Rudy Gay, Andre Drummond so I kind of tried to put it along the, along the Rudy Gay line, um, kind of being my cutoff um, so that kind of that kept Karan Butler and a couple other guys off of there. Um, I just I, I whipped this up and didn't even really think too much about it beyond that. Um, a couple I wanted to make sure I had a couple big guys, but other than that, um, just wanted to kind of go with guys I knew I could count on. So I have Jalen Adams on there. Um, and then I have Christian Vital, James Booknight, Tyler Polly, Niels Giffey, Hashim Tabit, Ryan Boatwright and DeAndre Daniels to go along with those five NBA guys, um, and that fills out 13 D1 scholarships. And then I'm gonna cheat a little bit and I'm gonna throw a walk on in there uh, because you know walk ons deserve respect too. Just ask Andre Drummond. Okay. Um, Ray Allen would be a walk on. He doesn't. He doesn't need the scholarship. He'll. Uh, you know. and plus, he's he's 45 now. But I know I can count on that guy to still hit a three. Oh, man. So that that's my exception to the Rudy Gay line. I'm, I'm throwing Ray Allen in there as a walk-on, and I've got some national title experience. I've got some flashy new young guys in there. I've got some old reliables. I think that that would be a really solid team.
0: All right. No, I like it. So that's pretty good. So let me just kind of like go make sure I got everything. So you got your, so we both agree on the five starters, obviously. So we're constructing a bench here. So uh, we both have Giffey. I think that's kind of goes without saying he's the sixth man without a doubt for anybody who hasn't been paying attention. Niels Giffey just led his German team to a title this year. So he's like doing really, really well. Um, I also have James Booknight on my team. He's actually my only active Husky though. You I saw you, you go up did did I hear you correctly? Did you say Tyler Polly would be your other another one of your active guys? I'm a
1: huge Tyler Polly stan. And I I've got faith that when he comes back he'll uh he'll produce big time. I mean, the the guy's the guy's tall enough to be a reliable big and then he pops out on the wing and hits those hits those threes, I he's I can't not have him on there. I stand him too hard.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I I mean I like Tyler too, but I, I certainly I'm not sure I would have picked him as like my next guy on my roster, but yeah, whatever, you know, I, I was generally <laughs> leaning for trying to grab pros. So I have a bunch of guys who are playing overseas. So, uh, yeah. So Neil's Giffey is off the bench. You know, he's my first guy off the bench. I do have James Knight just for the raw talent. Um, I, my, uh, my backcourt includes, uh, my reserves include Christian Vitale, Jalen Adams and Ryan Boatwright, all of whom are still playing, you know, professionally somewhere. So, for my, for my wings, you know, so right now in our starting line, I've kind of Jeremy Lamb and Rudy Gay kind of fill that role. You know, Niels Giffey is kind of along those lines. I got Daniel Hamilton still out there, yes. still doing Daniel Hamilton things. Super versatile, can play the three, can play the four, whatever I need. And then, um, so I need a front court. And unfortunately, this is an area where UConn hasn't been as good recently. So, the pool of players isn't quite as strong. So, you know, Andre Drummond is probably going to play a lot, but... You can't rely on him necessarily. So maybe we go small, but maybe we need to, you, you gotta get another big. I'm having a, I'm going to bring in Alex Oriaki and he's been, I don't know if he is still an active uh, professional. I don't, I think the last I heard he was playing in, um, he was, he was on a te- team somewhere in 2019. So health wise, I'm not sure where he is, but you know, as far as bigs go, you know, I, I can count on him to like, you know, be a big guy in the paint and, do the things he did so well in 2011. You know, I'm sensing this is probably going to be a a small ball lineup, so I don't know how much I need him, but I need need another player like that just in case Drummond gets in foul trouble. So next, for my last spot, I'm going to go ask Ray Allen. But I'm not sure I'm going to get Ray Allen because he's 45. You know, he's not necessarily... I I mean, the man is in incredible shape. He's always, you know, kept and took really great care of his body. But we don't know for sure if he can quite keep up with some of the athletes that'll be out there anymore. You know, obviously, he doesn't need to run the floor like crazy. He's one of the great shooters. But frankly, Rayon also kind of has better things to do. So I'm not sure if I'm going to get him. So you want to know who my 13th guy is, if not him? Let's hear it. This is going to blow your mind. I'm going to bring in a Terra Majuk.
1: Oh my god, I googled him because I was thinking about the same exact thing.
0: <laughs> so, for anybody who doesn't remember a, a joke, he played basically one season in like the 2010 season. Was a hugely hyped prospect. Didn't really amount to much with the program. And then, one of the most incredible draft night surprises ever, he was drafted number 58 overall by the Los Angeles Lakers. And I distinctly remember the panel just being like, What? Really? Who? not even who? that
1: not even that it wasn't even the 2010 NBA draft it no, was the 2011
0: it was the strangest <laughs> thing so yeah. you might ask why why would you bring in a teremajuk and i'll tell you it turns out if you look into his basketball reference page the man has been a massively prolific uh professional basketball player for more than a decade he still he's played all over the world and pretty much i i um in the episode i did with Andrew Callahan on the um you know, sticks to the rafters, uh, Texas game. We talked about him at length and yeah, his, like his professional basketball journey is pretty remarkable. Uh, he's played everywhere. I don't really know how successful he's been, but still, you don't play pro b- basketball for 10 years unless you, you can play, you know, nobody ever questioned his talent. So let's give him a shot, bring him in. Maybe they can give me some sneaky minutes off the bench, you know, like what What? Yeah. You know, I need bigs, that guy, his size. So <laughs> why not?
1: Hey man, he started the Texas game. Never forget
0: he did you know, start oh the gosh. Texas game. Do you
1: know his his NBA draft rights were traded in two thousand seventeen? Yeah, a six couple years after he had been drafted and never played an NBA game.
0: <laughs> I think it, he was involved in a couple of big trades. I don't have the notes in front of me, but I remember talking about this with Drew. Uh, you know what? Hang on a sec. I I gotta look this up because uh, yeah. th- this stat was just man, this this stat blew my mind. Okay. Uh, the typing sounds you hear is me looking up a Majuk's Wikipedia page. Uh, oh man. Yeah. His career history, uh, Turkey, Australia, a whole bunch of places, Minsk, uh, a whole bunch of places. I, you know, China, uh, New Zealand's uh, there's literally all over the place. Um, okay. So we're, yeah, we're talking, so yeah, we are trying to figure out, uh, who was he traded for? Yeah, there were two, like, notable trades. Oh, yeah, NBA draft rights. Okay. In 2016, Majuk's draft rights were acquired by the Chicago Bulls in exchange for Jose Calderon and two future second-round picks. I don't – I have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, uh, the next year, Majuk's dra- draft rights were also traded to the New Orleans Pelicans in exchange for the Chicago Bulls receiving Quincy Pondexter and a 2018 second-round pick. I know who Quincy Pondexter is. I've heard of Jose Calderon. What what is happening here?
1: <laughs> it didn't make any sense. It's, yeah. especially and then uh, apparently the Pelicans just like renounced his rights two weeks later.
0: It, yeah, I mean we're talking salary dumps, but
1: <laughs> yeah, wow, for sure.
0: that's like, that's aggressive. Uh, we'll just say as far as our, you know, hypothetical Yukon teams, uh, how do you feel about my roster versus yours? Do you think, uh, anybody I have that you, you want or, or you feel good with your guys that you got?
1: Uh, I definitely had Daniel Hamilton and not Majuk in my, in my drafts of, uh, in my drafts of this team, so I am all for both of them being in there. I like that squad a lot.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really Hashim Thabit would be fun. I don't actually, to be honest, it never even occurred to me to look up what he's up been up to these days. Do you Do you happen to know off the top of your head?
1: Uh, last I saw, I didn't I didn't follow um, TBT at all this year, but I know that he had been added to a team. I remember seeing a video of him arriving in their bubble, um, but that was about the last I saw of that
0: okay interesting yeah so he might be yeah. worth considering as like maybe I, I like i said for i have no idea what alex oriaki is you know where he is as far as like basketball conditioning at the moment because you know he, he could be totally healthy he could be totally fine it's i literally legitimately don't know if he's had any injuries yeah. recently so if he's not uh, he's if he's not, not up for it then maybe hashim is a good uh, backup center then
1: yeah i wonder what you fans would think about oriaki being on the team i know uh Obviously, I was I was on campus when uh, when he decided to transfer to Missouri, and started walking around wearing the Missouri gear for that last semester there before he headed off, and uh, didn't go over very well not, on on campus. He was uh, he was not well received uh, after that. So I wonder how UConn fans would feel.
0: Nah, it's been long enough. He was he yeah was, he you, he won he helped them win a national championship. If people exactly. still hold a grudge, like come on, whatever. It's it's. Yeah. it's been 10 years let's let it go
1: yeah hey i'm with you on that one
0: Alrighty then anyway this was fun uh, thanks again for coming on tim I, I had a blast uh so yeah do you, i guess anything else you want to add before i let you go
1: uh i don't think so thanks for having me again i uh, i love doing this so hopefully we get to do it again sometime
0: i agree and hopefully the next time we talk uh we'll be well let's see i mean if there's going to be a college basketball season it's not going to be much longer i mean true they're, they're, the the sir sure sounds like they're making they're planning on playing in some fashion we don't really know anything concrete but it sounds like mohegan sun could be uh, a potential bubble site so
1: yes, UConn live from
0: heck yeah let's let's do it <laughs> awesome well tim thanks again so much uh, everybody else thank you all for listening i'm sorry to keep you all waiting uh you know an extra week um you know hopefully i'll be back next week I, i'm sure gonna try to you know keep that uh and every week trend as best i can as uh, work starts getting busier uh, but yeah you know you know the drill uh, follow me on twitter at max cerullo m a c c e r u l l o dms are open emails yes yukon at gmail.com five star reviews uh, on I, on a apple podcasts is a you know real good so we want those hit us up and yeah anyway that's all we'll uh, we'll be back next time you guys all have a good one